0: My name is Ian. I'm on staff here. I'm one of our family. I'm our family ministry pastor, and so it's a joy to be with you guys this morning. Glad you're here. We have been walking through James uh, for the last few weeks. Uh, Actually, walking might be a bit generous of a statement. We're kind of crawling uh, as we go at a really slow pace, but the slow pace is for a reason. We want to really see what the scripture is saying. We really want to see what James is talking about. So we're going to dive a little bit deeper into some, uh, different, uh, contexts as, and concepts as we walk through this letter of James. Uh, we've already talked about how we're supposed to count it joy when we go through trials. We've talked about, uh, where we are supposed to go to for wisdom in the midst of trials. And we've also talked about, uh, the trial of poverty and of prosperity. And we've looked at all those different trials. And today, like I said, uh, we're going to be talking about temptation. No one's really excited to talk about temptation, I guess. Uh, but uh, what we will see as we go through temptation is that we're not going to have a lot of time today to talk about the actually really practical ways we can respond to temptation and fight sin. We, we just don't have that much time. And so here's what we're doing as a church uh, through our James studies. We're doing several what we're calling deeper dives. And so in these deeper dives, we're going to spend time uh, really just diving a bit deeper, as you can tell from the title of it, uh, to see what does that passage look like and how can we study it a little bit closer and learn more from it. And so our first deeper dive is in two weeks. It's on the 15th and 16th, um, and uh, we just invite you guys to come to that uh, to learn how we can fight sin and temptation more practically. Sound good? So here's what we want you to do. We want you to take out your phone. You can actually do it right now. I will do it with you so you don't feel bad about taking your phone out in church. All you have to do is scan that QR code. You pull up your camera, for those of you who are a little little technology slow, I guess. Uh, Zoom in on the QR code. Tap the link that comes up. And it takes you to our website with more information about the classes and uh, or the deeper dives and then uh, how to RSVP. So RSVP, just so we know about how many people we should plan for. And let's dive a little bit deeper into what it looks like to fight sin and temptation well together. Sound good? All right. I, I need a little more from you guys this morning. Come on. Let's get it. All right. Temptation. Let's go. It's going to be fun. All right. Uh, Here is what is true That we all face trials And we all face temptations The reality is That when we go through trials James has already told us How we are supposed to respond And he says respond to trials By counting it all joy As you go through trials of various kinds He says you should count it joy Because of what the trial is going to produce in you So count it joy When you go through trials The hard thing is, is that that is a really challenging thing to do. Like, have you ever been going through a trial and you're just like, man, this just isn't fun. (laughs) I don't want to keep going. Like, what's the point? Like, is this actually worth it to be steadfast? Like, is it actually worth steadfastness to go through this trial the way that I am? Is obedience to God actually worth it right now? Because this is really challenging. Uh, our family went glamping this weekend. For those of you who don't know what glamping is, it's for it's camping, but for people with toddlers who don't want to sleep in tents. Uh, that is what we did. We got a little cabin out at the Palisades and stayed there Friday and Saturday, and while we were there, uh, we went on a family hike. There's a ton of really nice trails on the Palisades, and it was really beautiful, and as we're hiking, though, we get to the point where we're turning around, and we're about to come back, and our three-year-old girl starts to, like, fall behind everyone. Like, it makes sense. She's getting tired, and I'm like, come on, you can do it, girl. Come on, let's keep moving, and I'm back there with her, trying to encourage her, and then she just stops. She looks at me, and she's like... Put dad, I'm so little. And like, it was so cute and funny. Uh, but really what she was saying is like, I can't keep going. This is hard. I don't know if I can make it. Is it worth it? Like, should I actually keep going? And then I told her, I was like, we're eating lunch when we get back. And then she kicked it right up into gear and it was fine. Very food motivated, much like her father. Um, but it was like, we've all been there when it comes to trials. There's a trial, a challenging circumstance, a situation at play, and we're like, man, is this worth it? Is obedience to God right now actually worth, like, the trial that I'm going through? Like, is the steadfastness that is, like, that is trying to be developed in me actually worth what I'm going through right now? And what James is going to do in the passage that we're looking at today is he's, he's going to give us the answer to that. And he's going to do it by giving us kind of two sides. He's going to say, this is what happens if you do remain steadfast. This is what happens if you do persevere under trials. But then he's also going to say, this is what happens if you don't. This is what happens if you don't remain steadfast, if you give in, if you don't remain obedient. like This is is the route that you are going down if you're not careful. And so that's the side we're going to start. We're going to start negative. We'll get positive at the end. Just stay with me. But we're going to start reading James 1. We're going to start in verse 13. It says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it, is give, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. James is telling us in these verses what happens for those who don't remain steadfast. He's saying the other option, instead of remaining steadfast, is to be led by your own desires, to go into sin, and then sin ultimately leads where? To death. He's giving you the very negative side of what happens if we're not careful around trials. And in verse 15, James uses the metaphor of childbirth to paint a picture for what he's talking about. He says, then desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin, and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. He's saying that death happens. Like opposite steadfastness, we get death. And death happens because of sin, and sin happens because we are enticed and lured away. He's saying, your sin and temptation to sin, sin will lead to death. And this isn't the first time that we see this language of sin leading to death in Scripture. Paul uses this language in Romans six twenty three. He says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord he's clear where sin leads. Sin will always lead to death. And what James is kind of expanding on here is, is he saying sin when it has, after it has been birthed, when sin is allowed to keep growing and growing and maturing, what you're going to end with is death. Sin as it grows and is fed will reach death. Now, just to be clear, if you're a Christian, death, death is not your end. Death is not your end if you're a believer. If you have faith in Jesus, you don't get a spiritual death as talked about here. You will get physical death. We all get that in life. But you don't get a spiritual death. But also what we see is that if you're a Christian, that means you don't allow sin to fully grow. You don't allow sin to continually be fed and fed and fed and grow and grow and grow. And church, I just want to pause here for a moment and say maybe some of you guys, Some of you in this room, you're at a point where there is sin in your life that you are just allowing to grow. Allowing to run rampant. Where you're just feeding it. Maybe you're hiding it. You're keeping it a secret because you don't want people to know about it. Or maybe you're just like, I don't even care. I'm just going to grow in it. I'm just going to keep feeding the sin. I'm going to keep feeding the sin that is in my life. There is a very clear warning for those who don't repent of sin. For those who allow sin to fully grow in their life and its death. And so church, this morning, I pray that if you're in a spot where you have sin in your life that you're not repenting from, I pray right now that the Holy Spirit would convict you of that. That you wouldn't just keep feeding the sin. That you wouldn't just allow sin to continue to grow and fully mature. Because when sin fully matures, it brings out death. And if you're not repenting of sin, you should consider, man, do I actually follow Jesus? If there's sin in your life that you're not willing to kill and turn away from, and you're just feeding and feeding like it's no big deal, you might need to start considering, man, do I actually believe what I say I believe? Do I actually love God the way that I say I love God? Because what we see is that sin that goes unrepentant leads to death. And we know that Christians don't get death. They don't get spiritual death. So that means if you're a Christian, part of our life is a repentance. It's an ongoing repentance. And so this morning, I pray that you repent, that God's kindness would lead you to repentance. Some of you, for the first time, where you would recognize sin for the very first time in your life, and that you would turn away from it and follow Jesus. That that would start for you today, and then for others, that this would be the thousandth time you've done it. Where you said, God, I just noticed the sin in my life. I confess that it's not of you. It's not for your glory. God, I repent. I want to turn back to you. Confess and repent your sins so it does not fully grow and give birth to death. Because that's what James says happens, that sin as it is fully grown brings forth death. But we see that this progression doesn't just start with sin. It starts with Temptation. Look at verse 13, says, Let no one say when he is tempted he is being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. This progression towards death doesn't start with sin, it starts with temptation. It starts when you're enticed by sin. It starts when your desires start to like entice you to fulfill those desires in a wrong way. Now, before we keep going, it's important to note that temptation itself isn't sin. Temptation itself isn't sin. We see in Scripture that Jesus was tempted. We see in the Gospels that he was led into the wilderness to be tempted. We see in Hebrews that he was tempted in every way, yet without sin. And so it's not sin to be tempted. Jesus was tempted, and did Jesus sin? Okay, come on. Did Jesus sin? No. Thank you. He was perfect, holy, blameless. That's why he was able to be our sacrifice, to give us his righteousness. Jesus was tempted, but without sin. So sin itself isn't, or temptation itself isn't sin. But you need to be really careful. Because when temptation comes up, when temptation pokes its head up, if it gets room to grow a little bit. Or as this metaphor of giving birth goes, if it fools around, it will conceive sin. So temptation itself isn't sin, but we need to be on guard of temptation because temptation, if we allow it to, will give birth to sin in our life. And so sin starts with temptation and James makes it clear where that temptation comes from. And he first does that by telling us where it doesn't come from. Look closer at verse 13. It says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one with evil. So it's kind of interesting that this is where James starts, where he makes us turn from talking about trials to temptations by saying, Hey, when you're tempted, don't blame God. So why do you think he does this? Because we like to blame people, right? Like, we like to cast the blame for our sin and for our temptation to sin. And if you're a parent, especially a parent of a toddler, you know how true this is, right? Like, we have four kids, and three of them are really good at passing blame on for the wrong that they did. And the fourth one can't because he can't talk yet. And so it's like, we're all really good at passing the blame for our sin. Like, the one in our house right now is, hey, why did you hit your brother? He was looking at me. it's like... What? He was looking at you? But it's like she's already passing the blame for her sin and her temptation to sin on her brother who was just looking. it's like, we're really good experts when it comes to blaming other people for our sin. And not just other people, but we blame God too. And this isn't just new to us. This has been around for generations. Like from the very first time sin entered the world, there was a blame for sin. Turn all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, at this point uh, in the garden of Eden, sin had just entered. Adam and Eve had taken the fruit and eaten of it. And now uh, they're hiding and trying to close themselves so that they are not uh, in their shame as much. And so this is where we're going to start in verse 8, chapter 3. It says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid himself from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Like from the very first time sin comes into play, we see man blaming God and others for their sin. Very first time sin happens, there's blame being cast. Like Adam gets asked, "Hey, did you do this?" He's like, "Well, it wasn't my fault. It was the woman's fault." And guess what? You made the woman, so it's your fault, God? Like that's what that's what Adam was doing there. And Eve is like, "Well, it wasn't it wasn't my fault. It was the serpent." that you made, actually, that deceived me. So, uh, once again, not really our fault. From the beginning of sin, people have been blaming their sin on God and others. And we do the exact same thing. So James is saying here, hey, don't blame God, because he knows how much we like to blame God. It's like, man, I wouldn't have been tempted to overeat if food didn't taste so good, so thanks a lot, God. God. I wouldn't be tempted uh, to lie if uh, my boss wasn't so demanding. Thanks a lot, God, for giving me that kind of boss. I wouldn't be tempted to steal if our family wasn't poor. Why wouldn't you give us more money, God? I wouldn't be tempted to lust if you gave me a better spouse. So thanks, God. Do you see how silly that is, but how real it is for our life? That when temptation to sin and sin come up within us, We are so quick to blame God and to blame others. And what James is saying here is you can't do that. You can't blame God because this isn't God's fault. God is not the one who tempted you. You cannot blame God for your temptation. and You can't blame God for your sin. And then he tells us why. He says, let no one say when is tempted, I'm being tempted by God for or because God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. Now, this might cause you to pause for a second because we had just talked about how Jesus was tempted, right? And in the Gospels, it says that he was led out into the wilderness by the spirit, which is God, to be tempted. And so you can start to think, well, didn't God tempt Jesus Or you look at the story of Job. Didn't God tempt Job? It's like, well, no, God wasn't the one doing the tempting there. Satan was. Satan is the one who is tempting Jesus. And so God isn't tempting him. But what about the part where it says God isn't tempted with evil? Jesus was tempted, right? And is Jesus God? Yes. So how do we make sense of that? How do we make sense of it saying here that God can't be tempted with evil, but also when we look back in the Gospels that Jesus was tempted. Here's what I think James is trying to point out. He's trying to show us something about the character of God. And what he's trying to tell us is that temptation isn't actually tempting to God. Temptation isn't actually tempting to God. The evil that temptation tries to get us to do doesn't appeal to God at all. God is perfect, holy, blameless, completely righteous. And so evil does not entice God one bit. And so, yes, Jesus may have gone through physical temptation where Satan was trying to tempt him, but he didn't actually want any of the things that Satan was trying to get him to do. I saw a Facebook reel uh, this week, which this is how I know our phones listen to us because I was studying and then all of a sudden I get this reel. Um, But at this point... I, in uh, of the video, we see this guy. He's kind of playing out this temptation of Jesus scenario. Okay, so it starts with him pretending to be the devil, and he's like, "Bow to me, and I will give you all the kingdoms of the world." And then it pans over to him playing Jesus. What are you doing? I'm tempting you. And Jesus is like, "With my own stuff." <laughs> like that's kind of how I imagine this playing out. That Satan is trying to tempt Jesus. He's saying, hey, do this and I'll give you this. And say, "And Jesus is like, that's mine. Are you kidding me? Like, I can't be tempted by that. He's saying that God can't actually be tempted by evil. It's not enticing to him. It doesn't appeal to him because he is perfect. He is holy. There's nothing in God that desires evil. He is completely good. And there is nothing in God that that would ever tempt you. Now, don't confuse this. Don't confuse this with God would never put you through a trial. Because we've already seen that God will put us through trials. And we've seen what the purpose of those trials are. That the purpose of those trials are to build us. The purpose of those trials are to help us become steadfast and with our steadfastness to become complete, to become mature. And we see that that is God's intended purpose for trial. So don't mistake trial for tempting. Because God can't tempt you, but he will try you. He will test you. He will test your faith because he wants what's best for you. And it's really interesting because you look at the words that are used here. And in James 1, anytime you see trial... It's actually the exact same Greek word that is used when you see temptation. When you see trial in James 1-2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Then when you jump down to verse 12, the man who remains steadfast under trial. It's the same word that James uses when he's saying temptation in verses 13 and 14. And so what we see is that this is kind of like two different ways that you can look at the same word. And this Greek word, it's called, it's peras. Everyone say pera. Pera. You guys can speak Greek now. Congratulations. Um, but trial is the positive side of the of the word pera. And temptation is the negative side. Trial is when pera is meant for good. Temptation is when pera is meant for evil. It's like consequence, right? Like consequence can either be a really good thing or it can be a bad thing. That's how James is using it here. And so he's saying God can't tempt you, meaning he will never try you with an evil intent to get you to do evil. That is not who God is. That would go against his character. But he will test you. He will put you through trials. He will try you to test your faith, to produce steadfastness, to produce maturity. See, God, he will try you, but he won't tempt you. He is for your good. He is for your development, not your destruction. And so when you go through temptation, we don't get to say, man, God is the one who is tempting me. God is the one who is leading me to sin, because that goes against everything that describes God that we see in Scripture. It goes against his very nature and his character. And so if that's where temptation doesn't come from. If temptation can't come from God, where does our temptation come from? Look at Verse 14. It says but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So where does temptation come from? It comes from ourselves. It comes from us. And James is using another metaphor here to describe what he's talking about. He used childbirth in verse 15 and verse 14 he's using fishing. Anyone a fisherman or a fisher woman in this room? couple of you guys. Uh, I've caught a total of five fish, so I am very knowledgeable in this uh, category. Uh, But here's what I know about fishing. You want to use bait to attract a fish, right? And you tie that or put that bait on the end of the string thing. Uh, we on the same page so far? String thing. And you throw that string thing into the water with the bait on the end of it. Correct? And the bait on the end of the string thing is supposed to entice and lure the fish away from its safety and get caught. Is that how fishing works? Did I do a good job? Yeah, sweet, perfect, great, nailed it. James is using that metaphor to show us something. Whereas in fishing, the bait is out there trying to catch the fish. But when it comes to temptation and temptation to sin, we don't have to look outside for the bait. The bait is within ourselves. He's saying that the desire to do evil, the desire to sin, the temptation to do wrong is in you. It's your desire that leads you away from the safety of closeness with God and abiding in Jesus. And it's when you get lured away by your own desires, whether they're good desires or bad desires, it's when you get lured away from closeness and abiding in Jesus that you get tempted to sin. He's saying you don't have to look out there To see sin and temptation. You don't have to look out there to desire to do evil. Just look in yourself. Like you are the reason that you're tempted. The bait isn't out there. The bait is in here. And what James is wanting you to know, and what he's wanting us to do, is he's wanting us to start taking responsibility for our own sin and temptation. He's wanting us to start taking responsibility for our sin and our temptation. In fact, let's let's practice doing that together. Okay, just repeat after me. It's me. Hi. I'm the problem. It's me. You didn't know you'd be quoting Taylor Swift this morning, did you? Uh, you don't have to look outside yourself for temptation to sin. It is in you already. You're the problem. You are the problem that you sin. You are the problem that you're tempted. It's you. It's not out there. It's not your kid's fault that you're angry all the time. It's your fault. It's not culture's fault that you're greedy. It's your fault. It's not your wife's fault that you lust. It's your fault. It's no one's fault that you lie, cheat, and steal except your own and the desires that are within you. James is saying, it's time that you take responsibility. It's time you own up to what is going on within you. And in doing that, he's also showing us just how far away we are from being like God. Because God is completely pure, holy, and blameless, and can't be tempted or enticed by any evil. But us, man, we don't have to look very far to find evil. We don't have to look very far to find evil enticing to us. There's a battle that's going on. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Any of you guys ever feel like that? The desire to do evil and to sin doesn't come from out there. It comes from within. It's when your own desires, no matter if they're good desires or evil desires, but these desires within us lure us They entice us to satisfy those desires in a way that goes against God's good design. What James wants us to see in these verses 13 through 15 is that the path that leads to death starts with us, it starts with our sin, our desire to do wrong, temptation that comes from us, and then temptation, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin and then sin when it is fully grown because it makes way for death. He's, James is giving us the negative side of trial that he's been talking about this whole time. He's saying trial is meant for, to produce steadfastness in you, and in producing steadfastness, is to make you complete, mature. But he's also showing what happens if we don't remain steadfast. We're tempted by our own evil desires, and evil desires give birth to sin. And then, sin, as it continues to grow, brings forth death. That's the negative side of it. That's that's what happens when we are not remaining steadfast in trial. And so, what's the key? Like, what's the key to help us remain steadfast in trial? What's the key to make it so that we're not walking down this road of temptation, sin, and death? James kind of answers that in verse 12. And so work your way back up to verse 12. It says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So at the beginning, we asked the question, Is this even worth it? And James, what he's doing in verse 12 is he's saying, yes, yes, it's worth it. You see what you can get? You see what happens when you remain steadfast, when you love me? You get the crown of life. You get life with Jesus forever. What could be better than that? He's saying it's completely worth it. Nothing on this earth is quite like the life that you can live with God forever. And that phrase, crown of life, it would have brought to the initial readers' minds uh, what the winner of an athletic competition would get. The winner of an athletic competition, they would get this crown wreath that they would be crowned with saying, you won. You're the victor. Like, you did it. If And so, like, when the athlete was training and preparing and working hard and competing... What do you think helped motivate them to keep going? Getting the crown, right? If we work that hard for a temporary crown, how much more as followers of Jesus should we be motivated to godly living and steadfastness with the crown of life? Right, church? Like how much more should we desire the crown of life from God? Like how much more should that motivate us? That's what we should be going for. That's what should keep us going to help us remain steadfast is receiving this crown of life from God, this life with God. And, so, and when you compare the sin you're tempted to with the eternal crown waiting for you, it doesn't even compare at all. You're you want to remain steadfast? Compare your sin to the eternal crown and see which one is better. Just See. Let the crown of life motivate you. Let life with Jesus motivate you. But I also want you to notice something else in this verse. Who is this crown of life promised to? Look at it again. It says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. So underline who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Underline those who love him. Right here, James is giving us qualifiers of the person who will receive the crown of life. And these aren't two separate qualities. These are the same quality, just on two different sides of the coin, right? He's saying those who remain steadfast will receive the crown of life, and those who love God will receive the crown of life. And he's saying these aren't mutually exclusive. like These are connected together. He's saying that if you remain steadfast in trial, it's because you love God. And he's saying if you love God, you will remain steadfast under trial. They're so connected that you can't say you love God and not remain steadfast under trial. And he's saying if you do remain steadfast, it's because you have a love for God that is greater than the temptation that comes up. It's those who love God and those who remain steadfast under trial that receive the crown of life. You see, James is doing something in this whole letter. He's showing the practical outlet of faith, that faith actually works, that faith has action. And what he's doing here in verse 12 is he's showing us that love for God, when it is played out in real life, looks like steadfastness in trial. And so church, how's your love for God? Are you remaining steadfast in trial? Or are you just constantly bending in, giving to temptation? Trying to satisfy your desires with something God never intended you to. You see, our key for victory in temptation isn't just rolling up the sleeves, tying our boots up tight, getting to work. The key to our fighting of temptation is to be motivated by what we what we receive. Which is the crown of life, life with God, and how we live, which is a steadfast love for God. You could say it like this fight temptation with love for God and a focus on life with God. Fight temptation with love for God and a focus on life with God. That's how we get through sin, that's how we get through temptation. It's like we're focusing on our love for God. We're focusing on what we get as we remain steadfast because of our love for God. Because, in the grand scheme of things, you don't necessarily just have a sin problem, you have a love problem. Like, you don't just have a lust problem, you have a love problem. You don't love God the way that you should. You don't just have an anger issue, you have a love issue. You don't love God the way that you should. You don't have a lying problem. You have a love problem. You don't love God the way that we are supposed to love God. The way that we remain steadfast and the way we keep trial from turning into sin-bearing temptation to avoid death that comes from sin is by love for God. It all starts and ends with the love for God. Here's what I mean. It starts with the love of God like, our love of God starts with love from God. Like, it's the love that God showed us by sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. It's that love that woos us into a relationship with him. This says, I love you so much that I gave you a way to not be slave to your sin anymore. To not give in to temptation And he made a way for us to be made right with him. This first love from God is what woos us into an eternal following of God and an eternal love for God. We can only do that because he first loved us and he seals for us eternal life. And he seals for us an eternal love for him. And so it all starts with the love for God that comes from God. And then from there, the way that we remain steadfast is we allow our love for God to grow and grow. That when trials come, we remain steadfast because we love God. We love God so much that we want what he has for us at the end of the trials because we love him and trust him. And so we remain steadfast. In those times where we just, we slip and there's temptation, we give into temptation, or maybe we're even just presented with sin and we're tempted to do evil, we say no to sin. We withstand temptation because we say, no, I love God more. Like God is far more appealing to me than this sin at hand right now. And there's times where we give in and we sin. The thing that keeps us from allowing that sin to grow until it is fully grown, that to keep us from living in that sin until it leads to death is a love for God that leads us to quick confession and repentance. Saying, I love God too much to stay in this darkness, to stay in this sin. Our endurance and our steadfastness is all because of our love for God and a focus on life with God. That's how we remain steadfast. That's how we fight temptation. So how do we make that a reality? Let's break down that sentence real quick. How do we make that a reality? First, let's fight sin. Fight sin. Here's the reality. We don't have a lot of time to talk about fighting sin. You will have a lot of time on October 15th and 16th when you come to our deeper dive. Shameless plug. RSVP, come to our deeper dive. Learn how to fight sin together. Like learn some practical tools to put in your tool belt to help you beat sin and temptation. That sign up for a deeper dive, fight sin. But fight sin with love for God. And so grow in your love of God. Grow in your love for Him. And I think a lot of times we skip a really important step. We want to prove our love for God. Like we want to show our love for God. But really how we grow our love for God is first by asking him to grow within us. We see in scripture that love for God is a gift from God. And so we want to be people begging God to give us more capacity to love him. Give us a greater desire for him. So grow. Grow in your love for God by asking for more love from God. Like more love for him. And then I want you to start every day this week. Every day this week. Before you even get out of bed, I just want you to remind yourself of who God is. That he is holy, perfect, blameless, and good. Remind yourself of who he is. And then remind yourself of what he has done for you. That a holy, perfect, good, just God sent his son to die on the cross for you. So that you could be reconciled to a holy, perfect God. And if that doesn't stir up a love for God that lasts throughout the day, do it again. Repeat those things over and over again. Remind yourself of who God is and what he has done with you. Rehearse it over and over and over again to stir up a love and an affection for God. And then the final thing I would say is if we want to make this a reality, we need to remind ourselves often when we're in Christ, That at the end of trials, we get God. That we get God himself. That there is no greater joy. There is no temptation that can offer you what God can offer you. There is no sin that can satisfy you the way Jesus can satisfy you. Remind yourself of that. Remind yourself of the prize that Jesus is. And that you get life with him forever. And no one can take that away. That is how we can make it a reality of being steadfast. How we can fight temptation by growing our love for God and focusing on our life with God. And church, if we did that, man, this would be a really cool place. Because this would be a church filled with people who are sinners. Like it already is, right? But we'd be a church filled with sinners, but who are growing increasingly less satisfied with sin increasingly less enticed by sin because we have a love for God that far outmatches what sin can offer. Amen? And that's the kind of church we want to be. Those are the kind of people we want to be. Like, that's who I want to be. I want to be someone who so loves God that sin is not even tempting. That my evil desires are actually not even tempting to do evil because I know that I love God and that I get life with him forever. May that be true for us. Let's pray. God, you are so gracious to us that you would send Jesus so that we could be made right with you, so that we would have a way out of this terrible progression of temptation, sin, and death. How sweet you are. And God, may we see you as that. May we see you as better than anything else that this world can offer. See you as better than any temptation that comes away, any sin that entices. May we love you more than anything else. May that get played out in the way that we stand firm through trial, in the way that we fight sin and temptation. A people who love you and focused on life with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.